Thundergrads. My name is Haley Hurst, and I'll be your host tonight. And I'm here with Michael Martin, who is our lead analyst. And Michael, how did you feel about that Thunder game recently? Thunder Jazz. A lot of threes. None by the Thunder, though. A lot of threes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the Thunder had, I think, eight threes as a team, and Boyan Bogdanovich had eight uh, in the... No, they had... Um, the Thunder had eight threes the entire game, and the Jazz had eight threes in the first quarter. Bogdanovich had 11 of those, had 11 threes on his own, which yeah. is just crazy. Let's keep in mind, he shot, 18, 11, he shot 18 threes and made 11. That efficiency is insane. That's over 50%. Yeah, he broke the Jazz record for single game threes. Um, I don't remember what the old record is, but he, uh, he blew it out of the water. I think it was like eight or something. He ended up with 35 points, which is absolutely amazing in this heat of the game. and. Mitchell did also super well, making 24 points, as well as Clarkson with 20. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson was nice off the bench. He's um, kind of in the Trey Mann role for them as a guy who's off the bench, who just comes in and sparks your scoring whenever your team is not playing well or kind of, I guess, stagnate. Rudy Gobert is the big player on their team in terms of being their center, defensive player of the year caliber guy. He had 17 rebounds, (laughs) just kind of a normal night for him, 12 points he was plus 26 and plus minus uh, Donovan Mitchell you mentioned he was their prime score but it didn't look like he was necessarily effective the whole time shooting but he really got his teammates involved he had 10 assists which is really high for him um, on the Thunder side though we mentioned three-point shooting the starters Haley one of let's see 12 one of 16 one of 25 from three the starters were for the Thunder from three that's low-key embarrassing. That's not good. Yeah, you get Baze goes 1 for 7. He's the one guy who makes one. Good for Baze. Poku's 0 for 5. Shea 0 for 4. Trey 0 for 7. And Aaron Wiggins 0 for 2. There were a couple makes off the bench, but it's just too much. Obviously, we're no math majors, but 3 is worth more than 2. Yeah. And the Jazz had a lot more 3s. Um, there were still some bright spots from the Thunder, though, in this game. Absolutely. I mean, Shea did pretty well. He put up 33 points. We kind of saw Bays and Mann lack behind, though, in this game, which is so sad because they were doing super well um, when Shea was out. But now that he's back, we just see a completely new team dynamic. And Baisley put up 11 points. Mann put up only six. Yeah, the Jazz are a hard team to play against just because of uh, the Thunder are a really downhill team. They want to get in the lane. As we saw, they're not going to make a lot of threes. And Rudy Gobert is the best paint protector in the NBA. So what they do is they just filter everybody to the middle to try to get at him. And you're going to have to make tough shots over him. And a guy like Trey Mann and Baves, who aren't great finishers yet like Shea, it's going to be really difficult. We needed Giddy to be in the paint this time. We, we needed, needed him there. We, we, need, we needed guys to make threes, space the floor, get him a little bit out of the lane. But there were still some bright spots like you talked about. Um, I thought Poku looked good. He had 12 and 11 with um, four assists. He had some nice blocks. He blocked Gobert once. Um, Baisley also got two... Uh, two blocks on Gobert. He finished with three overall. Lindy Waters, another guy from Norman, had two blocks. He hit some threes off the bench. I was really impressed with how Baisley and Poku, just because they are, even if Poku is like a seven-footer and Baze is 6'9", it's still small ball in the sense of like how skinny those guys are. And there were big chunks of the game where, you know, the Thunder get down by 15-20 and they clawed their way back in with that small ball lineup where Poku and Baze are guarding guys like Rudy Gobert, who outweigh them by 80 pounds or are three inches taller than them. So I was really impressed by that. I think that's a good 
sign in their growth as players. Yeah, and Poku got 11 rebounds, which is absolutely great just for him because we haven't talked about him, I feel like, a lot recently. He's just kind of been there, but he hasn't like been there. He's an enigma. He's in his own category. I mean, he's been in the G League for a while, and then he came back, and he's been playing a lot better. Those rebounds are really, really important because Baisley only had five. He's usually a guy who gets a bunch of rebounds. Trey Manley gets three. Wiggins gets two. I mean, you're definitely missing the playmaking with Giddy, but also his rebounding, he averages about eight a game. But I think the story of the game is how good Shea was. Yeah, Shea is is an absolute monster. His stats are absolutely amazing. But I just wish Giddy was back on the floor with him. I want to see that duo back together. We haven't really seen a lot of that since Shea has made his return to the floor. And now Giddy's out with a hip injury and... We just need him it, back. It sucks. I wish the both those guys are out there. I hope Giddy comes back soon. I know he's dealing with that hip injury. But Shay just looked like calm, cool, and collected, just yeah. kind of probing the lane, finding those open spots on the floor. Earlier in the season, it seemed like he was either shooting layups or threes, and that was it. But he really got into his mid-range game of just finding the open spots on the floor, taking what the defense is going to get you, give you, and he was really, really efficient doing it. If you take out the 0 for 4 from threes, he goes 11 of 19 from the field plus 11 of 12 from the free throw line. It's crazy because he still gets 33 even though he's the only offensive option on this team. Utah comes in knowing he's the only guy who's going to score and you still can't stop him. Haley, it was Baisley, Shea, and then the Oklahoma City Blue was the team. Every other player other than those two has played for the G League team this year. So they're like not even really an NBA team out there, and they're still competing. I mean, I know they lose by 13, but they're within 10 with a minute left and within two minutes left. So it was really up in the air, even with the hot shooting from the Jazz. I was impressed with the Thunder, even though it was a loss. But, you know, we're happy with the loss. We're tanking. We're trying to get that number one pick. Exactly. And the Thunder, as we say so many times, is a rebuilding team. But they are such a good rebuilding team. (laughs) If I had to rebuild a team, I would want it to look like this Thunder team. Um, and they're just doing so well. Well, they're doing well despite the circumstances that they've been under and them not being a really established team. Yeah, we've talked about it. If you evaluate this team by wins, you're going to be really disappointed. What you need to do is you need to watch the games and you need to watch for how much improvement these guys have had. Because if you watch, it's not always steady. It's not like an incline. But there are peaks and valleys, but it's slowly going up throughout the season. I don't think there's anybody who's gotten worse over the course of the season. Everyone has improved. It might be by a lot, like somebody like Shea or Trey Mann. It might be a little, somebody like Isaiah Roby. But the improvement is there, and you're seeing these guys get a lot better and building good habits for the future. Absolutely. One thing the Thunder does need to work on, though, is consistency. And we yes. cannot preach that enough with Bays and Mann being out there. You know, they were putting up such great, such high numbers, and now they're like man was in the single digits single digits people and he's usually double digits high 20s low he was he passed 30 at one point and it's just that consistency is not there and that's what it needs to stay and glue the team together yeah well the thing is when he had that hot streak I think that's more the outlier than the norm a lot of guys hit the rookie wall I think Giddy is kind of an exception just because of his past of coming over from 
Australia, and his game just kind of translates from game to game, you're going to be a consistent passer every game. That stuff is repeatable. Shooting, there's a little bit more variance, and getting to the lane, a little bit more variance. So, you know, Trey, as we mentioned, was averaging like a few points a game, a few minutes per game. He was coming from the G League. I think this is just a little shooting slump for him, but as soon as those shots start going in, he'll look a lot better, because everything else about his game, like his defense has been better, his passing has been better. He's taking better shots. He knows where he needs to be on the floor. It's just a matter of those shots going in. Absolutely. And speaking of of slumps, um, there was a Twitter video that came out of Shay doing an interview. And there's Plan A Shay, And he was asked to kind of take a step back from leading the ball and play off ball more. Um, and what it, what are your thoughts on that? He did not seem too happy when his coaches told him that. Yeah, I mean, he's said for a while that he wants to be a point guard which is okay but the thing is it's not necessarily like he's getting relegated to being the second guy or getting a demotion it's just kind of like being reassigned because the truth is is that Giddy can't score while Shea is on the ball but Shea can score while Giddy's on the ball so this is the best way of to get the best out of both those guys because if you have Shea on the ball he'll still be really great but it just totally minimizes Giddy's skill set so if you put Giddy on the ball and put Shea off the ball, it maximizes both guys. Shea, obviously, you want to have the ball. You want to have control. He's been the guy for the last two years. He's also, you know, it's he's has a guy who's 19 coming in who's going to take your spot and take a lot of those possessions. I wouldn't be super happy about it either. But he said the right things. He knows it's about winning, even if it's not comfortable. And since he's come back from that injury over this All-Star break, we're talking about playing A. Shea without Giddy in those games, he has been on fire. He's been killing it. Yeah, he has been killing it. He's really been making up for the the lack or, like, the loss in the team. And, like, he's doing great in that essence. But I think Shea going off the ball will be a greater good for the team personally. I think that it will end up giving them more wins, and it will be better for Giddy to, to facilitate and um, – I just think it's going to be all around better for the Thunder. Yeah, they'll stagger those guys. So you'll start out with those two guys playing together, and then you'll always have one of them on the floor at all times. So there's going to be minutes where Shea is going to be on ball. It's not like they're just going to take it completely off ball or it's like, no, you're never going to play point guard again. No, it's just more when it's him and Giddy on the floor, they're going to play it with Giddy on the ball. When it comes down to the those big games in the last couple sec- uh, seconds, Shea's going to have the ball. He's the only guy who can shoot it off the dribble. So this is not a demotion, like I said. It's just a reassignment. But I think Shea has been killing it. Over his last six games, he's averaged uh, 33 points, six rebounds, seven assists, two steals on 57% field goal. He's averaging a career high of 24 points this season. He's just been absolutely awesome. And if you look at his total stats since the All-Star break, he is third in the league in points and total points. Total assists, he's tied for eighth. Field goals made, he's first. Steals, third. Free throws attempted, tied for third. Free throws made, fourth. So he's just, if you look across the stats, he looks like a top 10 player. Absolutely. I, I love stats. I know Michael and I have talked about this a lot, but I am very on the stats, like prove it to me with the numbers. And Shea definitely has the numbers to back up his reputation. But but I think the team overall meshes better and plays with a better ri- rhythm when Giddy is the one to make the first pass. And I think we're going to be able to see that dynamic that we saw when Shea wasn't there and the dynamic that we see when Shea is there on the floor, which I think will be an interesting mix-up for the Thunder. And I'm very excited, yet a little nervous, to see how it's going to play out. 
Yeah, it's just um, it's preference at that point. It's just like there's no perfect music or right genre. It's just whichever one you like more. So you can have the ISO style of Shea or you can have Giddy where you move the ball around a little bit more. But to win at a high level, you need to have both. Like even those Warriors teams, whenever they won, they move the ball a lot. But you still at the end of games, at the end of possessions, you need somebody who can go ISO and get their own shot. Because by the time you get to the playoffs and get really deep in there, all the teams know your plays. So you have to have some improv and some different things you can do away from your normal plays. That doesn't mean you should be just ISOing all season long and all through the playoffs. You saw that a lot with the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook teams. There's some structure that needs to be had, but you also need to be able to, I guess, um, improvise and get your own shots and do some different things. And Shea gives that to this team, which is going to be really important down the line. Absolutely. Do you have anything else you want to add about Shea's season? I am really interested to see if this is just a hot streak or if this is something he can sustain. Because if he can do this, he can be a top 10 player in the NBA, which I didn't think was in the cards earlier Especially this coming back from an injury. Yeah. Well, and he's coming back from an injury, and he's playing with one other NBA player, as I was saying, and everyone knows to stop him, and they can't stop him, which is ridiculous. And he's not just putting up a ton of shots and then just magically getting a, a bunch of points. He's been really, really efficient, really effective. I mean, even just the other night when he had 33 against the Jets, he had zero turnovers. And if you have the ball that much and you don't turn it over one time, that's just insane. There's been a real maturity to his game, and it I dare I say I think it was good for him to be injured for a little bit because it looks like he's watched a lot of film and corrected a lot of his, I don't know, the things he wasn't doing well early in the season, like just finding those mid-range shots like I mentioned. That might have been the best thing for him. Maybe that's something we see from Giddy as well of being able to take a step back and watch your team and see what they need from you and see some of those mistakes you were making uh, while watching film and coming back a better player. Absolutely. So the OKC Thunder seems to be tanking, but that's actually kind of a good thing when it comes to draft picks. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. You want the top picks. So do you think Oklahoma City can catch the bottom three teams, Orlando, Houston, or Detroit, and fend off Indiana and Sacramento to keep, I think right now they're ranked number four in the lottery? Yeah, and the reverse standings, they're um, number four right now. I don't think there's a chance that you catch Houston or Orlando. They're, I agree with that. I think Houston they're way is, too far ahead. Especially Houston. Orlando, you actually have to play them twice, so those were worth double. So those are double-dip games. So not only can you move up, but they can move down because you're playing them. So every game you lose is basically half a game, or you win is half a game. But if you're playing that team, it's a full game. So that's why it matters. They also played Detroit twice. Detroit, who's uh, won six out of their last eight games. They've been playing really, really well behind Cade Cunningham. I think they are the ones that you could possibly catch just because Cade has been playing so well and have guys like Killian Hayes has been playing better. Jeremy Grant, who's been a fringe all-star, played on those Denver teams in Oklahoma City back in the day. I don't think there's a chance that Sacramento catches them. Um, Indiana, it would take a lot because the Thunder are tanking hard right now as <laughs> they're not playing a lot of good lineups. But um, I, I'd be really happy with just keeping this spot because we'll get into draft stuff later as the season goes along of you know potential guys the Thunder could get. But right now it looks like a four-player draft, and if you're in the top four, I think that's exactly where you would like to be. Obviously, you'd like to be higher than four. You'd want to be one, two, or three. But if you can be in the top four, I think that's something you can live with because 
Sam Presti knows how to evaluate talent. He's going to get the right guy wherever the spot is at. He's going to get the best possible player. You saw it with Josh Giddy. You saw it with Russell Westbrook, James Harden, a bunch of guys. This guy's eye for talent, as LeBron said, is indisputable. He's on a league. He's in a league of his own. So I'm really excited to see how this season plan uh, pans out. But it is really, really important for them to get a top three pick to get that third star next to Shea and Giddy. I agree. You know, I honestly think the Pacers might have a shot of beating the Thunder if the Pacers just continue to tank, honestly. But with our lineup coming up, I genuinely believe the Thunder will stay fourth, maybe even go up to third. I will not say that they're going to go up to first or second, though. It's going to be between the third and fourth slots for sure. It'd be incredible if they could. But, yeah, there's definitely a case that Indiana could catch them. I mean, they're one game back, so that's not a lot. That's just two wins or two losses either way, and you can flip that. Um, Indiana, they made the Tyrese Halliburton trade, so they've got a lot of really, really young guys playing. They played the Thunder about a week ago. That's when Shea went off, and I think it was an overtime game and beat them. Yeah. Yeah. Indiana, I was talking to my dad, we were watching the game, and uh, Indiana in the Thunder, 10 guys on the floor in overtime, and I was like, there might be three NBA players on the floor right now. Just the amount of guys who are coming in who are just trying things out and seeing if they can stick in the league. But I'm really excited to see how the Thunder finish this season out and what they try on some things because they're getting desperate on some of the guys they're playing. I, I really hope some guys can come back from injury just to have some variance in who plays. I know Lou Dort's been out for a while. JRE had his foot surgery. I completely surgery. forgot about Dort. I've, yep. like, I've looked at all these stats, and I'm like, hmm, I, I feel like I'm missing someone. What is wrong with Lou Dort? Yeah, he's got a shoulder contusion, I think. It's something okay. with his left shoulder. So he was taking shots in pregame the other day, but the Thunder haven't released any updates. They're going to be as cautious as possible with him. Giddy hurt his hip. JRE has been out since before the All-Star break with that foot injury. I just wonder how many of these guys we're going to see again before the end of the season because there's only like 18 games left. That's not a lot. That's that's honestly about nine weeks left. Mm-hmm. So you just wonder how conservative the Thunder will be in terms of which guys they keep out because if they're going to keep anybody out, it's going to be guys like Giddy and Dort who really help you win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to have the whole team back on the floor, though. I feel like there's really going to be some good games when Stort, Giddy, Shea are all back together, and then Trey Mann and Baisley. That's the top five lineup for me. So Yeah, you can see what they're building, though. They have some nice uh, players, but more than anything, this Thunder team just needs more NBA-caliber bodies of guys who can play. Like No offense to guys like Isaiah Roby or uh, Ty Jerome, but the Thunder, if you're going to be a really good team, you need guys who are a little bit more talented than that. No, I, I completely agree, and they have not been playing recently at all. So, But anyways, Je- I think Justin Bieber actually kind of said this la- said this best. So, is it too late now to say sorry? sorry I'm to get you in the booth. Oh, I know. Singer, songwriter. Right here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are some teams or people that you slept on, didn't think were going to do well, and have really shocked you this season to bring everything together? I'd like to apologize to the Boston Celtics. I'm really sorry. I... Still don't think that they are a team that can make the finals or win a championship, but I thought the ceiling was a lot lower for them just because it looked like, oh, they're just bringing back the same team. They're just beating their head against the door. They're doing the same thing over and over and over. But they made a different. Uh, they made a change. They get rid of Bad- Brad Stevenson's head coach, move him to president. They get rid of Danny Ainge as president. They get M.A. Udoka from San Antonio in that system as their new head coach, who's brought in a real defensive identity for them. 
and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have just gotten a lot better over the course of the season. And then a trade that I even said wouldn't be a big deal in Derek White really has been a big <laughs> deal because he's instilled a lot of that San Antonio ball movement because he was a spur before that trade. But the Celtics are looking legit right now. Right now they have the best defense in the NBA, the best field goal percentage defense in the NBA, the best point differential in 2022, and the best point differential in the East. They have won 10 straight games versus current playoff teams. But they're just out there doing a bunch of great things. They started the season out 18-21. and 21. Since then they have gone 39-27, and 27, and they've had one of the best in-season turnarounds that I can remember in a long time. So to the Celtics, I'm very sorry. I would personally like to apologize to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to be the same old LeBron-less Cavs that, you know, you're going to go out, get another top five draft pick for next season. But instead, they have really shown out this year. They've been playing old school big man basketball with potential. Roy, Evan, Mobley, and Jarrett Allen have all been playing so well together. You can really see this team come together. And I'm really excited to see where this team is going because I had such low expectations. Like when, when LeBron was on the Cavs, they weren't doing great either. Let's mm-hmm. be completely honest. They haven't been doing great for a while. But Darius Garland um, is running point and has also had an incredible year making the All-Star game as a reserve player. So I think they have a pretty solid lineup going. And that momentum is just continuing and building and building and building. I completely agree. I love watching Darius Garland play. He reminds He's me a lot so of good. Chris Paul. He's a great uh, passer, a lot like Giddy as just like a main facilitator. You mentioned Jared Allen. I think he just hurt his quad and I think maybe something in his hand recently, so he's going to be out for a few weeks. Evan Mobley, you mentioned, he's going to be the rookie of the year. Absolutely. It's either going to be him or Cade Cunningham. I think Giddy just missed way too many games and the Thunder is just not winning enough games. Speaking of Giddy, I would also like to apologize to him. Because I love Giddy. Don't get me wrong. I talk about my love for him. But when I was first getting into basketball, I was like, what is this 19-year-old from Australia really going to do? Like, he's not doing good. The first couple games of the season, absolute just hot garbage. And then all of a sudden, he turned himself around, and he's a huge playmaker on the Thunder. And that mean meme that went around where it was like all of his weaknesses was basketball it's totally wrong because his strength is basketball. He is so good, and I'm so excited to see him get back on the floor. But I'm so sorry, Giddy. I slept on you at first, but just now I love you, and you hold a very special place in my heart. You tell him. No, I remember when uh, the draft came out, and I was shocked when the Thunder picked him because he wasn't rumored to go to them at all. So then being the basketball nerd that I am, I watched hours of tape to try to figure out if this was a good pick. Of course it was because it's Sam Presti. But Presti is just magic. That's the only word I, I can describe him he has the secret eye and worked some great magic and now they have the, one of the best rookies in my opinion in the NBA but the things that have translated that I noticed over the course of him playing in Australia is one he was playing in a grown man's league at 18 he's playing against guys who are 35 36 with kids he's not playing in college basketball or anything like that and then all of his skills are translatable you can luck out and make some shots you can luck out and get a couple steals you don't luck into great decision making time after time again and ball placement and some of those passing things and just how he controls the game. So I, I'm glad that you were able to reconcile and apologize to Josh Giddy. I have one more apology. That is to the Dallas Mavericks. John and I were saying how dumb of a trade it was that they got rid of Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans on one of the worst uh, contracts in the NBA. Some of this is because Luka has lost a bunch of weight and looks a lot better, but this team has looked really good in terms of just playing a lot of small ball, 
Porzingis was really good for them as a center and um, kind of anchored their defense, but they've showed that they don't need that, that they have enough guys who are um, wing size, like 6'9", 6'8", 6'7", with long arms, who can kind of replicate the production of Porzingis, and you're getting a lot more space because you're not having a big guy just standing out on the floor, and you get even more playmakers next to Luka, so he doesn't have to do all the playmaking and all the dribbling and all the passing. They have Jalen Brunson, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, um, I really like this Mavericks team. They proved me wrong. I'm excited to see what they do in the playoffs because Luka stays on a heater like this. They can beat about anybody. Absolutely. And I also have one more apology. I am so sorry, DeMar DeRozan. I definitely slept on you because, you know, I, th- I, think, I think everyone forgot about him when he was on the Spurs. Like, no one really saw what potential he had or how good he could be. And then all of a sudden, when he's on the Bulls now, he is coming out with MVP caliber season. And this is so good for him. The Chicago Bulls right now have a 39-26 to record, and they are at least in the championship conversation, in my opinion. I feel like they can definitely get there with um, just continuous improving like they have been. He's averaging about 28 points a game with over a 50% field goal um, percentage along with averaging over five rebounds and assists a game so I think he he's doing so well I definitely slept on him and he was one that I that definitely turned my head and I was like oh my gosh I just completely forgot about this guy yeah I was a big fan of the Bulls in the preseason although I did think that they way overpaid for DeMar DeRozan I was wrong about that too I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be this good. And the truth of the matter is, like, he was underrated for a while. It seemed like he kind of plateaued, and it didn't seem like he could get any better. But he has worked his tail off, and he has gotten a lot better and turned himself into one of the premier scorers in the NBA. You don't want to apologize to anyone on the Thunder? Anyone who you wanted traded? I'm not going to apologize to Shay. Well, this will be a conversation for another day. You know what? When the Thunder comes together as a whole team and we start seeing the whole team win together, I will then apologize to Shay. I will eat my pride, but not today. Not today, Michael. I don't blame you. Yeah, no, there's definitely some concerns even with Shay of, you know, he's putting up these points on great efficiency, but when will it translate to wins? Obviously, the team's not trying to win now, but I think by next year you're going to see some of that trending up, especially whenever he gets a lot of his productive teammates back. I think he's a ball hog, honestly. Like, I hate to go back to that middle school term that everyone used to used to say when you would hog the ball. But honestly, who who do you want him to pass it to? Anyone. I want him. I want him to be a leader on the team and pass the ball to Man or Baisley, and at least give them the shots to take. Because I feel like he still doesn't fully trust them. As Giddy. Trey Mann and um, Baisley had such a strong connection and they trusted each other and that's why they did so well together but that mutual trust is not there right now it's just a different rhythm a lot of different guys are playing and it's um, it's a small sample size both were I mean even with when it was Giddy without Shea it was about eight games it's been about five games with Shea and without Giddy Guys can go cold. I think it's a little bit too early to say he's a ball hog or anything like that. Different guys get their teammates, um, I guess, involved in different ways. You have guys like Giddy who it's like, I'm going to just immediately give the ball up. Shea draws double teams, triple teams, quadruple teams, whatever it is, and then hits guys for wide open shots. At that point, it's just on you to make the shot. I think this team would look completely differently if they had some shooters who were making these shots, and I think the conversation around Shea would be a lot different too. Absolutely. Okay. I respect I respect your opinion. I respect your opinion, but I'm not going to take back Ball Hog. Um, but this week has been filled of historical performances. LeBron scores 56 and becomes 
56 points and becomes the fourth player ever to score 50 at age 37 or older. Jokovic puts, puts up 30 in the fourth quarter in overtime, beating the Pelicans. Jason Tatum scored 54 on Sunday to beat the Nets, and Ja Morant scores a new career high with 52 against the Spurs. Who had the most impressive performance? Because these numbers are so insanely high. There's no wrong answer here. These are all incredible performances, you said, but I got to go with the reigning MVP in Nikola Jokic. He was awesome in that game against New Orleans. You talk about Shea having no help. Nikola Jokic has no help. All his star teammates are out. They're just throwing him out there with four guys from the crowd and just seeing what works. And it doesn't matter because he scores 46, including 30 in the thir- in the fourth quarter in overtime, like you said. He gets 12 rebounds, 11 assists, 3 steals, 4 blocks, 16-22 to 22 from the field. He's the second player in NBA history, the history of the league, to score 45 points on a triple-double while on 70% shooting. History of the game, also, Jokic is the first player ever to score 40, 10, 10, 3, and 3 in a game. Just historic numbers from him. He's putting up numbers that we've never seen before. And it's so weird, like we talk about point guards who control the games, guys like LeBron, Chris Paul, even Giddy hopefully can get to that level. But for it to be he a will. guy who's a center, who's seven foot, 300 pounds, to be waddling around and control the whole pace of the game on both ends, is insane. It looks like he's just bored out there. He's like, oh, I guess I'll just take this shot. And he flips it up and it goes in. He's like, oh, well, I guess if you're going to bother me, I guess I'll go block this shot or I'll go steal this. He makes basketball look so easy, which is insane because he's so unathletic. He's just, he's, his mind is like a supercomputer and he just understands where everybody needs to be on the floor. We talk about Josh Giddy being a great passer. I think Nikola Jokic is the best passer in the league. Absolutely. There's nothing against Nicole, uh, Jokic. He's he's absolutely insane, and his record has proven that. But he also has a couple years in the NBA under his belt, mm-hmm. um, as Giddy is only a rookie, so we can only expect better from him. We can only expect better, but we're talking about the MVP of the entire league compared to a guy who's probably going to come third in Rookie of the Year. That's not to say Josh Giddy's not a great player, but there, there are levels to this. Absolutely. I agree. Um, in my opinion, although Tatum put up put the league on notice and really showed what the Celtics are here to do and here to play, my pick is Ja Morant. He is an absolute beast. I think he's dangerous because he doesn't care about stats. He just wants to win. So it kind of doesn't matter, you know, what his stats look at the end of the day. If that's a win, that's a win in his book. And I think that's so incredible that he kind of – Throws the stat book out the window just to just to prove his point. His loyalty to his team and his wanting to win more has has definitely made him one of the scariest basketball players, in my opinion. But Moran gives us all flashbacks of young Derrick Rose, John Wall, Russell Westbrook this past week, and they were playing the Spurs, and they just have electric, unbelievable players. But he was just so good against them, yeah. and. John Morant goes up against DeJounte Murray, who's one of the best guard um, defensive guards in the entire league, and just torched him. Didn't yeah, matter. He 52 had 50, points. 52, 52 points, points. I think on 70% shooting. And the thing is, from that game, is there were two plays, which might be the player of the year, which if you said tomorrow, if I'm like, Haley, did you see that great John Morant play? You'd go, which one? Because he was so awesome. He had one where Steven Adams throws a full-court pass to him with, like, 0.6 seconds left. He turns around makes a shot. And Half-time another, buzzer beater right there. Yeah, and then another one where he jumps, uh, jumps over uh, Jakob Portal from about eight feet out and just dunks over him. I was watching the highlight, and it looked like he wasn't even ready for Ja to jump yet. Like, no. he didn't know that was a possibility. 
John Moran is so much fun. I can't wait for him to be one of the new faces of the league. Um, it was really cool to see his teammates gather around him after the game, and they took that group picture yeah. with him. He's just such a great leader and such a cool guy. I think this made the Grizzlies team more fun. Uh, I think they just have such an incredible chemistry, and this team was kind of slept on pretty much all, all year. Um, but this city where they're at is just fueled by young studs, and that energy just can't be matched. And I think that all translates to his performance on the on the court, and I'm really excited to see what else that he has to offer. Yeah, Thunder fans need to watch a lot of John Morant because he is a guy, once the Thunder get good, is a guy you're going to have to knock out of the playoffs. I mean, the Thunder used to play the Grizzlies a lot in the playoffs when they had Durant, Harden, Durant. Uh, Durant twice, Westbrook, <laughs> and they played against Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, Marcus Gasol, and those teams. So it'll be a little bit of an adjustment. You'll get completely new rosters, but you'll have those same teams going against each other. So I think it'll be a lot of fun in the future. But um, just to talk about some of those other games, you mentioned Jason Tatum. He outduels Durant, has 54. LeBron is just in a category of his own at playing at 37, scoring this many points. He's kind of stat padding them, staying late in those games where he doesn't need to, but this has been a historic week of NBA basketball. Um, I wonder, when do you think Shea will score 50? He almost had 40 against the Timberwolves, and they pulled him out because yeah. the game wasn't close. Yeah, I, I honestly, I feel like he has potential. Maybe by the end of the season, I would like to see him put up 50. And I know I sound like such a Shea hater on here. Like, I know, but I do genuinely believe he is one of the best efficiency and point shooters in the mm-hmm. in the entire league and he he's definitely on the road to 50. Yeah I hope so I think that'd be a lot of fun you've seen all these guys put up great points it'll be just another great talking point for Shea because I think he does go a little bit under the radar playing in Oklahoma City playing for a team that's rebuilding in a small market but people need to remember that Shea is a special player who could be a top 10 level talent in the NBA. Absolutely. The Oklahoma City just needs to hold on to Shea for all they can. But, Michael, I think that's all of our time for today. I had so much fun talking to you about this. And if you're not following the Thundergrads on Instagram, do it right now. Right now we have some great stuff coming. Keep tuning into our podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we hope you all have a great weekend at the University of Oklahoma. Have a great spring break.